And this morning, James continues to talk about a related topic, and that topic is, why is it that some people sit under the teaching of the Word, and they change, like we heard today, they repent, their character begins to evolve, they start letting go of old habits, they start having a new world view, they start developing new relationships, and they, their life is different. And someone sits right next to them, Sunday after Sunday, week after week, in the same service, hearing the same message, the same scripture, and they just have their arms crossed thinking it's a little too long. The seat's a little too hard. It's a little too hot in here. And week after week, they, they leave the same. Two people, same place, same message, same exposure. One really changes, one does not change, even though they're receiving the impartation from the word of God. But some people seem immune to change. And James is talking about that in James chapter 1. He talks to us about really how to receive the maximum impact from hearing the word. And I'm going to be looking at really four steps to prepare yourself for change. Sometimes we think people are listening, but they're really not. How about it? My son Josiah, like many teenagers, uh, likes to have his iPod listening to his music. And occasionally I'll be in the car driving and I'll say, hey, Josiah, and initiate a conversation with him. And then I'll say, what do you think about that after talking for about three minutes? And there's silence in the back. And I'll say, Josiah, what do you think about that? And then I'll hear him say, Dad, were you talking to me? <laughs> After he pulls his earplug. Now, I am talking. My voice is resonating. The problem is there's something louder. He calls it music. There's something louder that is ringing in his ears, and he's unable to hear my voice. It's not that he can't hear it. It's that there's something louder ringing in his ears. And it's the same with spiritual truth. You can set under the teaching of the word of God, but if there's something louder ringing in your ears, chances are you're not going to hear or receive what God is saying. Verse 19, James, James, the first chapter, it says the following. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the planted word in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like the man who looks at himself in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to jot this down. Number one, hindrance for us really receiving the word is this. We have to deal with anger. The anger that diminishes your ability to assimilate the word because of the soul clutter that it creates. The anger that diminishes your ability to receive the word because of the soul clutter that it creates. 
Now, James says, my dear brothers, anytime in scripture you hear my dear brothers, usually it's followed by a rebuke. It's almost like a friend who puts his arm around you and says, hey, bro, and then he just lambasts you with the rebuke. So James is putting his arm around the believers and he's saying, my dear brothers, we have a problem here. And he says, the problem in your life is that too many of you are slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. And instead, you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I think there's a reason that God gave us two ears and one mouth, right? To do double the listening and less talking. But now, he's referring not only to our interpersonal relationship, he's actually referring more to our exposure to the word and how we handle the word. And he goes on to say that we need to be slow to become angry, verse 20, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Now, at my house, we, uh, my kids started doing chores when they were very young. And one of the disciplines that we gave our children was that when they misbehaved, they would have to clean a bathroom. And they became very, very proficient at cleaning bathrooms. They were good at it. And uh, we figured that uh, a great discipline would be that they would have to clean the toilet when they misbehaved. And so they would clean the toilet, clean the bathroom. And uh, so every week, pretty much, they cleaned the bathrooms as a discipline. If they were good, we tried to make them be bad just so they would clean the bathrooms. No, no, just kidding. But there seemed to be one job that none of them knew how to do. They all depended on dad doing this job. In fact, my teenage daughter, who's 17 right now, still depends on dad doing this job. When the bathroom water will not drain, my daughter will come to me and say, Dad, there's something wrong with the bathtub. I'm taking a shower and the water doesn't drain. You have to do something about it. I know what to do, although I'm not a plumber. I go to that bathtub and I take the little filter out and I have to take my fingers, and you know where I'm going with this, right? Because you've done it before. And I take my fingers and put them down into the drain and I have the dubious task of pulling out the filth. Usually long brown hair. It's grimy, it's gooky, it's nasty, and I tell my children, it's not my hair. I can guarantee you that. They still think only get dad can do it. But once I take out that hair that's accumulated over time, it's this nasty stuff out, then suddenly the water's able to drain well. James, James is giving us a similar illustration by saying some of you cannot receive the impartation of the word, not because the word is not coming to you, but because you have the inability to receive it because you've cluttered your life with moral filth and garbage that's there as a result of your anger. Anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. When you're mad and angry, 
You allow things to come out of your mouth. You allow, th- you allow yourself to act in certain ways that normally you wouldn't. And because of that, it starts cluttering your life. And when the word of God comes to speak to you, you can't receive it because there's clutter in your life that does not allow you to receive the message of the word. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Now, anger is not a sin. Anger is an emotion. God gets angry. So we know that anger cannot be a sin if God is angry. However, what Ephesians tells us, Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verse 26 and 27 says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Here's the thing. Anger is an emotion, but it's what we do with our anger that becomes sinful. I can have this burst of emotion of anger because someone cut me off on the expressway. And I've already told you, I don't have Jesus stickers on my car because God is still sanctifying my driving. And so I don't want people yelling at me with Jesus stickers in the back of my car. So please, if you're a lousy driver, please don't put new life stickers on your car. Please don't put Jesus save stickers on your car because I don't want people angry at Jesus because you're a lousy driver. But if someone cuts you off and you become angry, it's okay that you became angry that someone drove wrong, but now in the burst of anger that you have, if you let your mouth begin to slip into cuss words and if you do gestures with your hands and so forth, now you've just crossed the line from becoming angry to sinning in your anger. If you're in a heated marital debate and you're angry at your spouse and you allow cutting, negative, nasty, name-calling words and you hit under the belt and you get going and you know that you're, you're bringing up the past and you're accusing and so forth and you've sinned in your anger. It's not your anger that's sin, it's what you've allowed your anger to do. And the Bible says that the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. What I've discovered is that most people, when they're angry, They lose all restraints and they go totally in the way of the flesh. Unrestrained anger leads to a lot of garbage in our life. And some of you, you're praising God on Sunday morning, blessing God, blessing Jesus, but then you go to work and you get angry and then suddenly it all comes out. And just the way you were in the world before, suddenly you look just like you were in the world when you get angry. You go back to the same old thing, speaking the same way, having the same thing. Why? Because anger takes away restraint. And what James James is telling us is that, look at verse 21. It says, therefore. Anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you have to ask yourself, what is it? Therefore, right? Because therefore means that he's building on the previous thought. He says, since anger does not bring about the righteousness of God, therefore, get rid of the clutter that it creates in your life that's so prevalent And instead of being angry, you need to humbly accept the word. Now, anger is the opposite of humility. Because when you're angry, you have more of an attitude like, what's up? Get in your face kind of attitude, right? Like, well, what what, what do you want? Humility takes on the opposite attitude. And humility says, I know that there's areas in my life that need to be worked with. I'm willing to look at the areas of my life. I'm willing to learn from you, I'm willing to be teachable. 
Humility allows you to be teachable. Anger causes you to not be able to be taught. It creates clutter in your life. And when God tries to speak to you, he's not getting through to you. Now, some of you think you've dealt with your anger because you exploded yesterday, you woke up in the morning, and you no longer had this strong emotion as of explosive, and you think, well, I'm not angry anymore. Here's what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, when you don't deal with your anger, then your anger morphs into something even more dangerous than explosive anger, and that's called bitterness and resentment. And some people think, well, I've dealt with my anger because I don't feel this rage inside of me, but really what's happened is your anger's turned to resentment and bitterness, which is even more lethal than anger because it simmers inside of you. It pollutes your spirit. It damages your joy. It causes you not to hear the voice of God. It pushes people away from you. It creates barriers between people that you are resentful to. And you feel your spiritual life wilting like this because someone asks you, well, are you angry? You say, no, I'm not angry, but yet now you're bitter and resentful. And what James is saying is that When that happens in our life and we don't deal with it, then you can sit under the word, but you don't receive the word. It doesn't penetrate you because the garbage has to be taken out. Number two, the second thing he challenges us to do. Notice what it says in verse 22. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like the man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. The second thing that James tells us to do when we're not receiving the word is simply this, awaken from self-deception because self-deception lessens the influence of the word when we begin confusing hearing the truth with living the truth. What James is saying is that some of you have, concert, have confused the fact that you know the truth or hear the truth with applying the truth. You hear the truth and you know the verse and you think that you're living for God, but in reality, although you're hearing, you're not applying. There's a huge difference, right, between knowing the truth and applying the truth. I like to compare it to the gym posers, Uh, Let me describe a gym poser. Someone that joins a health club, goes to the gym, they buy their Nike outfit. She looks in the mirror and says, I look good in this. She gets her headband, she gets her wristband, she gets her water bottle that matches her outfit that she goes to. She uh, has uh, the the gym sneakers that look like she never uses. She shows up at the gym. The first thing she's got to do, of course, is go to the cafe to get a protein drink. So she goes to the cafe, gets a protein drink, and then she goes upstairs where the equipment are, and she chats with someone there, and then she chats with someone else there, and she does a little bit of exercise, and then she socializes a little bit and talks with this person, goes to the weight section, does one or two, and she spent an hour at the gym, but in reality... Oh, she looks the part, but in reality, she's done very little workout. And when someone asks her, she says, I go to the gym four times a week. 
And she assumes that if she goes to the gym four times a week, that she's in shape because she goes to the gym, but really, she's just showing up at the gym, posing like she's working out, but in reality, she's getting very little workout just because she's going to the gym doesn't make her, make her in shape. Now, we have some church posers, too. Okay, now I'm meddling. Now, you come to the church, and you get the Bible, you get the big Bible, the leather Bible, and you learn how to raise your hands, and you learn the Christian lingo, because you know Christians have their lingo, right? You learn the hallelujahs and the praise of the Lord. You look around a little bit and say, okay, some people raise their hand that way, some people like that. So you get your style. You got this style. Someone else has got that style. Someone else has got that style. So you look at it. You learn it. You figure it out. You learn the songs a little bit, and you come for a few months, and you assume that you're growing spiritually, but in reality, you're kind of like the gym poser. You're hearing the truth But Monday through Saturday, you're not really applying the truth. You assume that because you go to church, you're more spiritual. But in reality, James is saying you're simply hearing the truth. But unless you dedicate yourself to applying the truth, you're not really changing. You're deceiving yourself into thinking you're more spiritual, but you're more knowledgeable, but not necessarily more spiritual. And James says this, he says, listen, if you live this way, he gives us the image. He says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like the man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after he looks at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. He compares the word of God to a mirror. How many of you have ever read the word and felt like I'm looking in a mirror? Have you ever felt that way? Like, whoa, Woo. Yeah, that's me. Have you ever been under the teaching of the Word of God and felt like, hey, who gave that person my email? Who's been telling them about me? I've literally had some husbands that were non-church get mad at their wives when they brought them to church saying, you, you emailed them and told them about me, didn't you? But when you look at the perfect law, When you look at Scripture, Scripture's a reflection. It tells you the good and the bad in you. It tells you and it convicts you. It says this needs to be changed. That needs to be fixed. This needs to be dealt with. The Word of God is this perfect mirror. By the way, other people are distorted mirrors. Uh, You can talk to a friend, and some of us go by other mirrors to determine our reality and how we're doing. You could talk to a friend that's hanging out at the same bar that you're hanging out, and, and, and putting down one more Jack Daniels like you're putting it down, say, how do, you, how do you think I'm doing? Oh, I think you're doing great. Here, here's another one. And, and, and they say, oh, I think, yeah, you're doing good. You're doing good in your marriage. You're a good father. And if you go by that mirror, it's a distorted mirror. You know, you can get mirrors that slim you down about 30 pounds. You know that, right? You can look and you can say, that's what I look like, but in reality, it's a little bit distorted. But here's the thing. The Word of God gives you the unadulterated picture and image of who you are. When you look at the Word of God, you see yourself and you see what needs to be changed. If the Word of God is being preached in a way that's clear 
uh, in a way that's concise, you will see yourself and you will be convicted by the word at times. You'll be encouraged by the word, but there are times you walk out of a place like this feeling like, oh God, I have to change. There's areas in my life that need to be dealt with because the word of God is like that. It gives you a picture of who you are. James says that some of us are like the person that looks at himself in the mirror. You get up in the morning, and let's say, ladies, you had enough, a rough night the night before, and you wake up, and you're running late to work, and you look in the mirror, and you have a smudge of mascara all the way across your face here, and your hair's poofing out here a little bit, and, and um, it's just a rough morning. And uh, you look at yourself and you say, whoa, before I go to work, I need to do something about this. But, but, but you, as soon as you walk away from the mirror, you forget that you have a smudge. You forget that your hair's a little bit here and there, and you walk out of your door, you get in your car, drive to your work, walk in the building, get in the elevator. People are looking at you like, hey, what happened? You walk in your work, good morning everybody and someone's gonna say hey didn't you look in the mirror oh yeah I looked in the mirror oh I forgot what I looked like and James is saying it's ridiculous because some of us we look at the word we come we experience the conviction of the power of the Holy Spirit of God on Sunday morning because the word of God is alive and living the Holy Spirit is here this is not a place where we simply come to talk about dead dogma this is a place where God is alive his Holy Spirit is here he's willing to change anybody willing to be exposed to the word of God but when we walk away from a place like this and we forget what it said and we do nothing about what we've heard, James says we have just become hearers of the word of God and not doers. Thirdly, if you're taking notes, shot this down. And by the way, Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 described what it means to hear the word and not do anything about it. He says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Thirdly, in verse 25, James tells us that we have to reject a shallow or superficial focus because it minimizes the impact of the word while causing us to quickly forget what we've learned and how to apply it. Listen to what he says in verse 25. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law, I love the fact that he calls the word the perfect law. But the man that looks intently at the perfect law that gives what? Freedom. You know how many conversations I have with Guys that are 19 and 20 years old that say, hey, Pastor Mark, I, I'm thinking about following Jesus when I present him, but they say, but I'm not quite ready. I'm 20. Man, I got a lot of partying in me still. What am I going to do on the weekends if I become a Jesus follower? I mean, I can't do this, can't do that, can't do that. I mean, I... I I'm thinking about maybe in 10 years from now when I'm about 30 years old, I got my wife, I got my 2.1 children, 
I got my little mortgage, I got my house, that I'm going to settle down, and then I'm going to take my family to church because then I think I'm going to be ready to settle down. But right now, you see, if I try to follow God, it's really going to cramp my style. It's going to put me in bondage. I'm going to feel all like I can't do anything. No, 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 no. Here's what James says. The perfect law gives liberty, freedom. It gives us freedom to be who God has called us to be, freedom to enjoy our purposes. Man, I rejoice that we have some 17-year-old kids getting baptized and saying, I'm going to live for God, go on missions trips, enjoy my purpose, because the law really gives freedom. And that 20-year-old young guy that's all bent on freedom Usually when I run into them, by the time they're 27 years old, they got a kid over here and a kid over there. They got some compulsive addiction that's messing up their life. They're miserable, depressed, single parent. Freedom? Is that really your vision of freedom or is that bondage? Because that's what it looks like to me. Not freedom. So he says, but the man who looks intently at the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. You see, the only way that the word of God is going to change you is when you determine that you are going to not just glance at the word, but you're going to study the word. Look intently means you examine it. You look at it deeply. You continue to go back to the word. You ask yourself, what are you saying to me, God? Holy Spirit, allow me to apply what I'm learning. God is never going to hold you accountable for what you don't know. He holds you accountable for what you do know. And he says, look intently at the word of God. Continue in it. Don't forget what you've heard. Keep doing it. And listen, and then you will be blessed in all that you do. What's he saying here? Well, he's saying pretty much what Psalms chapter 1 tells us. Uh, Psalms chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates, what, day and night. In his law he meditates day and night. He's waking up in the word. He's allowing the word to change his mind, his attitudes. He's allowing the word through the Holy Spirit to begin to alter him. And then it says he's like a tree planted beside the waters. And whatever he does prospers. Why? Because he's aligned his life with God. And then lastly, number four. Step away from shallow spirituality that undermines the power of the word that should be transforming you. Look at what it says in verse 26. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Now, there are some of you that consider yourself religious here. Some of you are not very religious, but some of you, I run into people all the time that consider themselves religious. And... What James is saying is that you may consider yourself religious because you go to church services, or you may consider yourself religious because you were named after a saint. How many of you here were named after a saint? Come on, don't be a saint. Raise your hand. How many of you? All right, quite a few of you named after a saint. All right, you may consider yourself religious, or you may consider yourself religious because you, you were dedicated when you were young. 
but religion really is a double-edged sword. And what James is saying is the religion that God chooses. You say, what religion does God choose? I, I talk to people all the time that say, well, I'm confused because there's so many religions. So many just different ways of doing church. Well, God is saying, if you want to really test how you're doing and how religious you are and how spiritual you are, here's a threefold test to really determine the level of your spirituality. Are you ready for this? This is a huge test. Anyone who considers himself religious and does not, test number one, keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Ouch. He says, listen, if you're really spiritual, then your spirituality is going to lead you to put a rein on your tongue. What's he saying there? Well, later on in James, he's saying the tongue is a small body part, but your tongue can actually guide your life. And if you claim to be religious, but you can't bridle your tongue, you're negative, you gossip, you blow off in anger, you, uh, you, you, you condemn, you, uh, you, you lash out, you call names, you, you speak uh, negatively mainly into people's lives that are around you. Listen. If you consider yourself to, to be religious, but you can't bridle your tongue, here's what God says. Here's what God says. Listen, your religion is worthless. That's pretty hard, isn't it? In other words, if you can't bridle, the Holy Spirit has to come and bring a spirit of self-control. So the first test is, what do you do with your tongue? Evaluate yourself between one to ten. Don't say it out loud. Okay, say it out loud. Let's see, one to 10, how do you bridle your tongue? Give me a number, one being the least, 10 being the highest. You don't have to shout it out real loud, but say it out loud. At the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to say it out loud. Where do you think you are? One, two, three. I heard you now. It's a tough one, isn't it? Test number two, we're talking about religion, that God really accepts. Verse 27, religion that God the Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. If you really want to know what really grabs the heart of God that he thinks is pure and faultless, it's to look after orphans and widows in their distress. What? He doesn't say anything about memorizing Bible verses. He doesn't say anything about how I raise my hands. He doesn't think about, say anything about how I, loud I shout hallelujah. Well, here's the thing. The way you bridle your tongue and the way you treat or your heart that you have towards the helpless. Listen, we can have all the doctrine and all the dogma that we want, but unless we care for the helpless... You say, well, I don't even know any orphans or widows. Listen, there are helpless people all around us. 
There are people that are broken, depressed. There's single mothers that can barely make it. There's immigrants that can barely survive. There's people in, in, in Africa, there's orphanages. And, and you don't have to go to Africa to find the helpless, the hurting, and those that, are, those that are being oppressed and those that are down. Listen, it's all around us. If we as a church don't care for the gangbangers that are out there and don't have, have no clue what life is all about. Two weekends ago, two weekends ago, there were 24, uh, it was 24 shootings in the city of Chicago, 24, 24, and seven people died. If we don't care about that, then we might as well hang it up and go home because we don't care. Seriously. By the way, two of those kids that were shot were connected, and somehow, there, there were somehow people here knew them, two of them that were shot. Hey, caring about the helpless is what happens in Humble Park, an after-school program that we do. Monday through, Monday through Thursday, we're kids whose mothers are on crack and who, who, who can't get a decent education at home, who don't have a dad, who show up and there's no support there, whose parents sometimes don't speak English that are there, uh, showing need for the helpless is volunteering to tutor some of those kids that show up every single day. We feed them, we tutor them, we take them out, we pick up their grades at school. Why? Because their parents aren't doing it. You say, well, let the government do this. Listen, we've, let, we've depended on the government way too long to solve the issues that the church should be rising up to say, this is our community, this is our city, this is our destiny, this is our place. The church sits back and crosses its arm and hopes that the government comes up with one more social program to help us out when they are our neighbors, it's our family, it's our sons and daughters, it's our people. This is our city, not Mayor Daly's city. Bless Mayor Daly, but, but God has placed us in this city to do his work and to do it at his bidding. Amen? Amen. Keep a rein on your tongue to help and look after the helpless. By the way, the announcement that we made earlier, there's so many kids around here that don't have jobs. There's 18 to 21-year-olds especially. We have applications out there to make 10 bucks an hour between June to September with the program that we're cooperating with said, we have first dibs on it, so fill out that application quick. Why? Because there's a bunch of 18 to 21-year-olds right now that can't get jobs, that are out there, and all they, if, they're, if they're unemployed and hanging out in a neighborhood where, there's a lot of, where it's a hot neighborhood, all they're going to do is get in trouble, mega trouble. So I believe it's part of the church's job to get involved in issues like that and say, where well, we can cooperate, we do it. That's why we have applications out there. So if you need to fill out an application, fill it out. 10 bucks an hour, 30 hours minimal a week, 40 hours maximum a week. And lastly, just in case you thought it was just about self-discipline or just in case you thought it was about social justice, it's also about personal holiness and purity in your own lives. Because he says, 
widows in their distress and to keep orphans from, and to, in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Don't think for a moment that your personal integrity and your personal holiness doesn't count before God. The way you live your life, your heart, your integrity, your lying, lust, whatever it means, it's important to God. The way you live your life is huge to God. Bridle your tongue, care for the poor, and live a life of integrity before God. Don't allow yourself to be enculturated by this world and polluted by the values of this world, but live a life that has integrity before God. Listen, if your religion doesn't affect those three areas of your life, then your religion hasn't affected your life. And if you scored two or five and below on those three areas of your life, you need to make a beeline to this altar. Get on your face before God, repent and say, oh Lord Jesus, help me because I've been religious but I haven't been spiritual. I've been religious but I haven't been consecrated. God, forgive me because the religious, the religious impact in my life is worthless before you. I want to start walking in your ways. Amen? Amen.